Howdy, y'all. And welcome to the Sh- Won't Shut Up and Skate podcast. Just Won't Shut Up and Skate, Texas skateboarding history, nostalgia stories, and a bunch of other shit. My name is Chip Wright. Call me Queso. And we're joined here with... Carrie Jackson, also known as Carjack. Carjack, how'd you get Carjack? I mean, it's obvious, kind of. I have to credit Kevin Mouton for that one. He just started calling me Carjack one day, and I said, why do you keep calling me that? And he said, it's the first syllable of each of your names, Carrie Jackson. How did I never see that? Damn. I was too close to it. Right. And then how did you come up with Queso? Queso. Man, when I moved to San Marcos skating with the Team Love back in the day and announcing, that's when I kind of started my announcing stuff. I was always cracking jokes, dad jokes, goofy shit. Oh, just cheesy. Being cheesy. Just ah. being cheesy. And at some point, one of the dudes called me Fondue. And that became a Fondue, became my kind of nickname. They also kind of said some shit about my short neck, which I don't think is a thing, but whatever. But, uh, and then when I started announcing for the Texas Roller Girls, which I've done for a long time, I was talking 20 to, years now. 20 years, yeah. I was talking to Kitty Kitty Bang Bang. I was telling her the story about the cheese, and she said, Oh, that's funny. That's like chips and queso, chip queso. So there you have it. Whatever. Yeah, with my, the, the drawback with Carjack is if occasionally uh, I'll meet, it, it's never been an issue in skateboarding. Obviously, it worked really well when I worked with you guys with roller derby. But occasionally I'll meet a normie, <laughs> just a nice normal person who, you know, probably came from a decent background, decent family. You know, they were raised right. And somebody will call me car, Carjack and they're like, why are you? called carjack did you get carjacked i'm like do i look like i've ever been carjacked like did you carjack somebody well the truth (laughs) of it is is if we haven't lost the one listener that's uh started listening to us we thank you for joining us here we will probably be referring to uh texas skater nicknames because it's kind of a thing it's kind of you get given the nickname you don't just kind of make it up yourself sometimes you might but typically it's for some reason so uh doorknob steve kurtner story later anyway (laughs) (laughs) and also about this uh podcast we're trying to start so we're gonna kind of tell you as this intro episode goes on the what where why when and who why are we doing this what we're doing this for where we're going to be doing it when we're going to be doing it because honestly carjack we both know this is our first go at it. It's kind of DIY, and that's something that, you know, we're pretty That's decent kind of at. the way we've always done everything. Exactly. Thank you, skateboarding. So uh, this first intro episode, we appreciate you guys joining us. We are going to give a lot of shout-outs and a lot of love. Um, I'd probably like to start off with the gentleman that is uh, joining us here, helping us with production, and that would be John Miller taking some photos and getting us kind of set up. He does this kind of for a living. What's it, Eureka? Eureka, where you at? John's on here. Yeah, man. Thanks. Eureka Street Creative is the company I'm formed. I formed. So, yeah, dude, y'all are going to kill, kill it, man. Come on. All right, dude. So <laughs> he's helping us out with that. He's got a production company. He does some podcast stuff. He's also got the Skate Gym, which we'll talk about more, about to open, which is going to be in Cedar Park, Texas, and that's going to be kind of a gym learning for kids, people who want to get back into it, etc. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but shout out to him who's standing here right next to us. Carjacked, uh, you've probably got a, at least a couple of early shout outs on inspiration. Why are we, why are we doing this? Uh, just be, as a 
sort of thank you to skateboarding, thank you to Texas and the skateboarding scene here in particular, which has had an outsized influence on my life. I would imagine on, if you're listening to this podcast, Texas and skateboarding has had an outsized influence on your life. Um, and I felt like, I think we both feel like uh, Texas has not ever gotten the full recognition that it deserves. And it just hasn't been documented as well as the West coast scene, all the media, all the industries on the West coast and somebody needs to step up and have some recognition here. Look, you know, that's exactly the reason that we're doing this because there's no doubt that, that there's a lot of places in the world that uh, are highly influenced by skateboarding and have done a lot of great things to get things going, California being obviously the, the foremost of that. But as we've dug deep into this, and we are going to dig much, much deeper because it basically hasn't been done for Texas. And when you look around right now, I'm looking at this book called Four Wheels and a Board, A History of Skateboarding, Smithsonian Institute, came out a year or two ago, something like that. I dare anybody to find a reference of Texas in a book about skateboarding history. That no shit is one of the things that got me popping off is that Texas is just, it's there. It's, it's, it's obvious that Texas is a part of it. So it's Florida. So it's the East coast, et cetera. But when you talk about some of the critical points in Texas history, it gets a little bit glazed over and we're going to try to dig deep. There's right. always Craig Johnson, always John Gibson, always some of the big pros are always part of that. And that also we'll talk about, but generally speaking, maybe we feel like we've been swept under the rug. A little bit, a little bit. And if there's one thing Texans can't stand, it's being ignored. <laughs> the only thing worse than talking bad about us is not talking about us at all. Well, we pulled out the uh, inspiration today. And what does your hat say, Mr. Carjack? Oh, this would be the uh, phrase coined by Mr. Jeff Newton from Zorlac Skateboards in 1986 when he sent the whole crew up to Chicago for the big NSA contest, and uh, they were not feeling the love from the West Coast industry, so he made a bunch of t-shirts for them that said, fuck you, we're from Texas, and it stuck. That was an instant classic. Everybody wanted that shirt, even people not from here, and uh, you can find them down on 6th Street now in, in uh, <laughs> the, the little cheapy souvenir stores and stuff. It, it's entered the, the mainstream lexicon at this point. Pretty much one of the shirts that's been copied many a times. Uh, kind of similar here. I'll get to a minute on our name and this whole title of this podcast that came up. But um, I'm sporting a embassy tee. Shout out to Lee Leal there in Houston. Not a sponsor yet. Uh, it's got Todd, Jeff, Ken, and Johnny on it. It's the famous picture, uh, don't mess with Texas. And so that was a little bit of the inspiration, but you know, good stuff. Got to drop in. Don't mess with Texas means don't litter. Don't litter. So part of the inspiration kind of talking a little bit about John there is that if you know anything about me and my passion for skateboarding, you see me posting, I've been managing the skate park at Houston page and getting that going again because there's a lot of huge memories. It was a super important. There's going to be a few episodes that are specifically about the skate park in Houston. But that and I kind of have a bunch of old photos that I somehow carried around with me. And at Goodwill, I found this really cheap photo organizer and I organized them and that started flowing. Next thing you know, kind of pushing it online. Carjack and I talk about stuff all hey hey what year was the ramp red and what year was the bottom of the kahuna cement 
Concrete, by the way. Concrete, excuse me. Damn it. <laughs> Fair what, enough. What though. year was it red? It was uh, 86, spring of 86. And then by the fall of 86, it was blue again. And then he later did concrete. the concrete flat bottom. I want to say it was either late 87 or early 88. Because uh, I was thinking it was about the time he was building the hurricane, which was 88. That was summer of 88. So I think he built the hurricane and then he needed to tackle the kahuna and fix the flat. And he just decided to pour a slab. He being he being Dennis Epinet and Carjack here. The reason that is the combo of us is uh, our loud mouse. We have the gift of gab. If you know anything about us, we talk a lot. Uh, but Carjack is one of those photo memory dudes and is easily going to be able to tell us a lot of detail that I don't remember because I only remember some of the stuff. So some of us were straight edge in high school and still retain those brains, those brain cells. Uh, despite my best efforts in the intervening years to make up for that. Thank you, weed. Um, so uh, <laughs> moving on. And then uh, not too long ago, uh, a couple of years ago, actually, I had been boasting to people, how do we get this history? How do we get it documented? Texas has not enough documentation. They've got some, but I'm talking about the details, the stories that we've been hearing for years. There was an attempt to do a show up and skate kind of history a few years ago with uh, a couple of dudes that were involved. And then there was a little bit of a headbutt. There was a bunch of stuff that was recorded, a lot of cool stuff, interviews and kind of in motion. And then there was some kind of conflict. And one of the dudes that was working with the production left and took all the footage. And there's been a beef ever since then. Hopefully that footage is still there. Hence, since then, uh, Alan Gentry from Dallas and Mike Laird, um, kind of did a thing on YouTube um, that is we're going to put in post in links because uh, you have to watch. This is part of your, uh, let's call it history lessons out there. We're going to kind of put the puzzle together and we want you to kind of put these pieces together and somewhere down the road, we're going to have a much thicker, more detailed picture of Texas history. So to not ramble on, which we do, Carjack, um not a whole lot after they made those episodes. There's about six or seven episodes, History of Texas, a couple on Phillips that are really good, and et cetera. And then since then, it's just been the Facebook. And the problem with the Facebook format is that it kind of gets everywhere and and you have threads that go on and you can't get back to them, you can't find them, and so the stories get lost. And, and so... Goddamn algorithm. Goddamn algorithm. So that was part of the inspiration. And then this guy taking a photo right now, John Miller, has this podcast called The Wood Skateboard Podcast. Check it out. It's on Spotify and all those other places. And he's been doing some interviews for a couple of years, and he foolishly asked you and I. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a really good podcast with the exception of possibly one episode featuring yours truly. I'll... I'll try to be a little humble and apologize for that one right now no but seriously <laughs> when that happened even john was like god man we could do a bunch you guys have a lot of stories and a lot of things and i guess that's when the light bulb flipped and i went to carjack and i'm like dude we talk about this shit all the time why don't, don't we record don't know, it yeah why don't we record it i don't know if we can be good at this you guys will hopefully help us out but we need to get these stories this texas history the outlandish stories that you will hear from many a people, Brett Anderson, 
Kenny, Peyton, Payload, John Now, Jeff Newton, all over the place. And we need to get them in recording. We need to have a better, deeper dive. I've been watching some interviews of Gibson and Craig Johnson, and there's a few of those out there. But they glaze over being at a pool or a park or a place and carjack. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to dig deep and say a bunch of people's names and give some love to the old spots and what Texas was doing dare I say, simultaneously as California. Exactly. That's part of the inspiration. Uh, and while uh, we're talking about that, let's give a little bit of love because we're going to do a lot of talking about Jeff Newton. Now, this won't be a solely Zorlac uh, podcast by any means. However, when you talk about Texas history... You can't talk about it without Zorlak. Exactly. And also Jeff Newton being there in the early days, in the days when John Gibson was going out and skating the Gold Cup in California as a young man making a name of himself. So shit was already going on, and Jeff Newton influenced that hugely. We'll be getting into that. Yeah, and I mean, I would venture to say not just Texas skateboarding history wouldn't be the same. Thrasher Magazine wouldn't be the same without Newton's efforts in the early days. He did a lot. Oh, deep dive into Thrasher Magazine. That'll be coming up. We'll talk about, we already have kind of an idea for our second episode coming out, but sticking with the shout outs and Jeff Newton, I texted him recently and made sure that he gave us kind of the blessing and the go, because the truth of the matter is, is that he came up with the Shut Up and Skate logo in 86, maybe 85, 85, 85 or so. Cause the contests were starting right after the spring series. We'll get to all this. And, uh, it's probably one of the most, um, copied and never given credit to logos that I can think of. Absolutely. There's tons of big brand names, but when you talk about it, shut up and this, that, whatever forever. And Jeff's not gotten near the credit that he deserves on that iconic, I would easily put that up there with any of the iconic skate brand stuff. Agreed. So he uh, was okay with the name. And uh, uh, at some point he said that we'd be good to go up to Dallas and do an interview. And so one of the things also real quick about this podcast car, Jack, is where we've got a variety of stuff. We're going to we're going to talk about subjects. We're going to talk about Texas. We'll mention California and other places and how it was ref reflective of what Texas was doing. But generally, this is a deep dive, and we're going to be talking not just us. Thank God we're going to be doing interviews, and luckily we know some people. A few people. A few people. So we're going to be doing some interviews and that stuff uh, along. Also, want to give an early shout-out, uh, Tim Kerr, Chris Gates, and the big boys. Uh, who gave us the thumbs up and okay to use their music in our intros and outros. And Thank you very much, boys. And also another thing that we'll be pinpointing is that Texas's influence on a variety of levels is notwithstanding enough credit for what it's done and the big boys being part of that, especially when you mix in what you mentioned earlier, the early days with Jeff Newton and Thrasher. Correct. How about some, some other uh, inspirations for you? Carjack? <laughs> this might be a cut. Um, okay. Early. Hey, we're here to stir some feathers, that's for sure. No, and no, no, also, I, meant, like, I should like, say early, this is a GPRX-rated 
podcast. So it's history. NSFW. Yeah, we want your kids to know and listen to it. But yeah, we're going to say some cuss words. Don't Actually, worry, it won't be. Instead of NSFW, maybe NSF, your parents, NSF, the industry. Um, I kind of reflect it like this. I recently mentioned something on a, on a Skate Park of Houston page, and it was about a porn ad that keeps getting thrown on there because it's a public page, and they somebody says something about it, and then I'm like, delete it, block this person. And the analogy I used was kind of the same. It's not our fault, mostly, although here it's recorded. Maybe it will be our fault, but... Also, they didn't control when Hustler bought out Big Brother magazine and accidentally flipped the subscriptions and sent a really dirty magazine to little boys and to the people who expected the other magazine, they got some rad skateboarding shit. I personally have a conspiracy theory that that was not entirely an accident, but that could be time a story for another time probably not an accident for sure and what's great cool, marketing scheme if you think yeah, about it great marketing scheme i have every single issue including the first that was delivered in a shoebox of big brother magazine and yes i did receive that magazine and i know the content of that magazine i mean i was in my 20s it's dirty <laughs> yeah, the uh, Hustler was not the, um, the the classy. Oh, it wasn't porn. Hustler. It was dirtier than no, Hustler. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, we won't. We won't no, this, this is not a subject we're going to talk about rhymes with misting. <laughs> uh, other inspirations. So, look, this podcast is not about us. We want to grow. We're going to talk a lot about our experiences, but we also are trying to get your involvement, get your experiences, and get a fuller picture of what things are going on. Um, so we want your involvement. Recently, again, on this Facebook page for Skate Park Houston, something st started a thread about ramps and how many ramps there were in the Houston area. And that thread has tripled with people naming ramps that yep. some I remember and some I don't. Yep. And that's kind of what we want to do here. Um, but it's also about sharing the wood skateboard podcast done with John Miller. We want you guys to, to go and check that out because he's interviewing different people and different things. And it's all a part of our history, let's say. Um, but it's also important, uh, give a shout out to a couple of guys that were doing this a little bit before us at, uh, the dropping in Texas podcast. Hondo Hank and Chase Tejas have uh, several great episodes that they did. Um, been a little bit of a hiatus. Um, we may even be bringing them in the fold a little bit just to kind of help out and and boost what they're doing and also kind of do some on the spot what's happening around town kind of stuff. We've talked about it. We'll see. This is kind of a, a venture in growth. So not that you care, but if you ever come to Austin, you got to come check out uh, Carjack's bungalow, let's call it. It's a... Uh, it's more of a compound. <laughs> it's more of a compound. Why don't you describe your place out here in Central Texas there? Uh, um, I am nestled in the heart of the hill country just outside of Austin. Minutes. Minutes from downtown Austin. I won't say how many minutes, but it is minutes. Um, I'm out near the lake. Which lake? One of the lakes. One of the lakes on the Colorado River. Um, but yeah, just outside of Austin, uh, close enough to be able to get into town easily far enough for it, for me to complain about the traffic. Um, but pretty little place, uh, on a sort of hillside cliffside lucked into this Santa Fe style house. 
um, that has a couple of cottages and a pole barn that's hanging off the edge of the cliff that I built a little mini ramp in. With an elliptical transition. My backyard backs up to a 2,000 acre nature preserve. So looking out the back, you can't even tell that you're anywhere close to civilization. It looks like you're out in the middle of nowhere, which is really peaceful. And that uh, nature preserve is a a bird sanctuary. It's uh, set aside for several species of endangered songbirds like the uh, golden-cheeked warbler and the black-capped vireo and a few others. So any bird you've ever heard of in Central Texas comes through my area on the regular. I see them all the time. Including vultures? Yeah, I've had a few vulture incidents out here. Um, you know, they're circle of life. It's They're a necessary part of the ecosystem, but um, I'll just be succinct and say you don't want one to ever find its way inside your house. Um, when you got to call a company to come vacate vultures. No, 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 no. I've, I've vacated the vultures. The company was for the raccoons. <laughs> raccoons are, are organized and methodical in their destruction. They gang up on you and they intend to destroy everything. Vultures are just curious and messy. So what we're saying is when you come to Central Texas, come visit Carjack at his animal emporium <laughs> also got and, tarantulas <laughs> copperheads um scorpions uh, all sorts of of lovely little creatures that would love to say hi to you tangent with carjack but we asked for it but anyway no we're here in central texas trying to cover texas so we're gonna kind of station up here sometimes and have some subjects the next episode we hopefully are going to be talking about kind of what we know where we're at now what information we have on texas history and some details and some interesting things that we found um and then we're going to move on to some interviews uh we're going to be a lot of name dropping one of the reasons to listen in is you're going to be talked about your buds are going to be talked about the sessions are going to be talked about shit that's not really ever talked about and yeah this stuff may only be important to a handful of us OGs, but I'm willing to bet that we're going to stir up some more uh, shoebox photos to be posted that we've never seen. Yeah, and the important thing is not how many people this is important to. The important thing is that it existed, it mattered, and it influences people. It, it, everything leads into the next thing. And whatever is going on in skateboarding right now in Texas is a direct result of everything that came before and everything that's going on right now is going to be a direct influence on everything that comes afterwards. So even if you're just some kid with just a slider bar in your driveway in the suburbs and you think that nothing, nobody would ever care about that, you matter. This matters. And it's all threads in a rich tapestry of our story. In a tapestry that we want you to sew together for us and put the timeline together. <laughs> so that is to say, like everybody listening to this, you matter. You're part of this story. This story's not done. This isn't a history podcast of of this is what happened. It's it's uh, carved in stone, and th- like these are our memories, and our memories are somewhat subjective. Everybody's are, and hopefully, by getting a lot of different perspectives, we get a better sense of the actual story or the overall vibe, but everybody's like, nothing is set in stone. Nothing is, what is the line? The future's up to you, right? The future's up to you. Part of uh, history and the song by the big boys, which is at the tail end of the podcast. And you know, look, yes, we grew up in Texas. 
Yes, we are pro-Texas on a lot of ways, and that's going to come out, and that's part of it. We're proud. We're not necessarily cocky. Maybe we are, but we're proud. But Texas is the reason I'm going to stir, we're going to stir some feathers because everything that I've started to is find. It, by the way, is it stir some feathers? Stir, stir the pot. Stir the pot. Ruffle, ruffle some the feathers. feathers. There you go. Hey, just edit that one. <laughs> so, but the point is, is that the argument is, is that everything I can find for the most part, with the exception of what was going in the magazines and was documented in the early days in Skateboarder in Action Now, Texas is three months behind. And when I say three months and I say behind, I really only mean in the second skate park ever built. Yeah. In the 70s, Holly Hills and Corpus and how huge and how not many people talk about Corpus and we're gonna talk about Corpus, but how Texas is only that far behind. And and it was because of the lag in media. It took it, three months for- Pretty much. Something happened, it got documented, it took three months to get put in a magazine and be published and for a kid to find it at the newsstand in Texas. So we were constantly three months behind, like, oh, this is what's happening. Except that frequently we were doing the exact same stuff at the exact same time. Simultaneously. And part of this argument is that Texas is as just important as California and Florida and some of the East Coast cities, but just not talked about it. So that's why we're digging deep into this. Texas um, basically was doing things influence from surfers, riding skateboards because the surf was down, finding ditches because Texas needed that uh, because of all the rainstorms. Where's the water go? And we have ditches that are dry all the time and then empty pools and all. I'm arguing that we were doing that simultaneously. It wasn't in the magazines. It wasn't in the photos because those weren't being taken in Texas. Right. And so part of this is not to piss anybody off, but we do want to ruffle some feathers, stir the pot, and make sure that we get the justice that we're due. So we're not coming across, well, maybe we're coming across cocky, but we we deserve, and so I guess part of what Carrie and I feel is that this is a great avenue to kind of get that flow going. Ultimately, we need somebody to invest and do a documentary on Texas and all that, but... All you aspiring filmmakers, let's let's get it going. Oh, it'd be a better story and go crazy, but to come later. So a lot of shout outs, uh, a lot of people that are influences on. I'm kind of sitting here looking at a little bit of a list and a couple of things. Um, first off, quick little yeehaw and shout out to Wild Bill. William H. Walker. Who we just lost recently. And a huge influence on Texas. And we're going to get to him in a little bit more detail here in a little bit. But I wanted to give a quick shout out. There's a list that we're starting of In Memoriam. And, you know, the quick list I have, uh, you know, includes obviously Wild Bill, obviously Jeff Phillips, John Comer, our friend Clay Towery here in, in Austin area, Jonathan Broderick, the best street skater overall Texas kid that you probably have never heard of that we'll do an episode about, Scotty Mescal, who we lost, lost recently. I even a big shout out to somebody who loved Texas but wasn't from Texas, Tom Boyle the Rock. And that's just a few. Oh, there's a much bigger list, yeah. And so we're going to attempt to do interviews and separate some some questions about these individuals and then hopefully we're going to get to some memoriam episodes obviously number one biggest shout out to most of our favorite skater 
Jeff Phillips. Jeff Phillips, who's been 30 years now. It's been 30 years. He would have turned 60 in June. 60. And we all, there's not anybody that's listening or or that's asked this question that would doubt. Not only do we miss Jeff Phillips, but if he was here. He would be killing it. He would be probably up there in the neighborhood of the Buckies and maybe not Tony, but I mean, he'd be up there in his notoriety and his traveling and his just how amazing. And he'd be ripping, ripping, ripping. So he'd probably still have a wrist cast on. <laughs> probably so in a cut off sleeveless shirt and still trying to find some trackers. Um, but we're going to get much, much deeper into that. So that's part of it. You know, Carrie, I've been listening to, as many podcasts or interviews that I can about with Johnny Gibson, and there's some great ones, and then he glazes over something about a ditch or a ramp, and that's part of what this deep dive is. I've been listening to some about Craig Johnson. There's been some shorts with Craig Johnson and Al Coker, the, the grindfather from Dallas, Texas, and then there's been a spattering. And when you search online, I can't find much of anything else. Much of anything else yeah. about Texas except for Johnny and all his contests in notoriety in the beginning and some travel stuff. And we're going to get into this in more deeper, but this is part of the why. And then to be clear, we're not stopping with the early to mid eighties. Um, the, the legendary Texas pros we're going straight through to right now. We're going to talk right. about sure. Current pros from here today. Um, at some point, sure. Yes. We're going absolutely. through everything. We're going through we're everything. Going, and, and this probably won't be in, pure linear order <laughs> there'll be times where we've skipped ahead and we're starting to hit into the 90s and then we have to go back and talk about something that happened in 84 or something but we will be talking about all eras of texas skateboarding from the 60s shoot maybe before the 60s if we find hey. stuff all the way up to today and for all you street kids that think we're just talking about tranny transition vert transition and wearing pads and back yeah we're gonna talk about that shit and why it's important and why it's important to you but I also brought up the argument to Carjack that Houston, Texas, probably more specifically, maybe because we live there, but we were, and several crews were, in the very early 80s, going to downtown Houston and skating street. Yep. Now, I don't remember any kickflips and that, but we were, you know, parking garages the 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 transition building the exxon building the uh, the exxon banks the all those places acid drops boneless off of grinds all that shit was happening so i'm going to argue that even though when you they look at california tommy guerrero and then you got guns and Nottis and all those and and of course rodney huge props to all that but my argument is is that we had dudes that were ripping here in texas absolutely pretty much at the same time or when a kickflip and an ollie was learned I, we saw dudes doing it. Yep. I mean, I feel like a big part of the um, street progression and part of the reason that Houston was such a big uh, spot for that is two things. One, downtown Houston was almost perfect street skating mecca because in the 80s, there was no nightlife in downtown Houston. It was straight up just nine to five businesses, people going to the office, 5.30 p.m. It was a ghost town. And no camera no cameras well maybe but barely no and basically there were security guards that you knew how to fool yeah not that many security guards no cops no actual cops you're like you were not in any danger of getting arrested or ticketed you were in danger of getting chased out by security guards but you had basically the whole downtown to yourself and there was all these great spots but also twice a year basically there would be at least once a year there'd be a big pro skate contest at the skate park of houston 
And the skate park at Houston was one of the first parks to invest heavily in doing a legit street course mm-hmm. back in the I mid eighties. Photos, because a lot of the the skate parks at the time were either um, just a couple of ramps. It'd be like, oh, there's a vert ramp and there's a mini ramp. We got both kinds, um, <laughs> but no street course. Or on the West Coast, it was the the concrete parks that were still around and it was just the bowls that they had and maybe they had a freestyle area or something, but there was no street course. Dennis was one of the first guys to start doing a legit street course and holding street contests. And so not just the pro vert skaters would come out, the pro street skaters would come out and all of them, including the vert skaters, at night would go downtown and go skate downtown Houston. The glass banked wall with the glass yeah, the that Caballero's doing, yeah. Caballero's doing the backside right. on. They, they've got some California pros. Quick downtown Houston story, because it's funny. And that's, we were all downtown skating, probably 88 or so. And we went up and we were in the parking garage. And as you said early, er, sorry, mom and dad, we were tripping balls on acid. So, you know, when you get into the... We Wait, sneak you're around, bombing garages we're sneaking, on acid? We're sneaking around and... Lucy and this guy in diamonds. We were sneaking around the guard because we knew either he made his rounds or how to go around the other side of it. And, you know, you get that rush, you all climb into the elevator. And the doors close and you've made it into the elevator. And then the lights are bright as fuck. And that's when it kicks in. Your eyes are fucking huge and it kicks in. And you're like, oh, shit. Okay, so go up to the top of the garage. I don't remember which garage. Eight or seven, eight stories, whatever. Get up to the top of the garage. And we're all kind of just hanging out the top, looking over the edge, etc. And we look across the way and we see a dude jump off of a building downtown, all black, and then a parachute he was base drop, base, base jumping. Whoa. So we're like, what the fuck? Is that real? Holy shit. How fast can we get down that garage? That was not a surfing down the parking garage. That was fucking hauling ass. That was Corey Webster being chased we by the daggers. We hauled ass out and we went, came out of the out of the garage, had to skate around the corner and dude is next to a tree, decorative tea, tree on the sidewalk next to the building, pulling his shoot in and we're all, what'd you do? How'd you do that? Da, da, da. And he starts kind of explaining and then he's like, da, 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 and I gotta go. And he takes off. <laughs> fucking rad. That's a good one. So there's that's a good that's one. my downtown story and that was early, that was probably mid 80s. So yeah, all right, back on track. A um, couple of things just to keep this flow going. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about in skateboarding that doesn't get talked about a lot, but is the truth, and that is the influence of people from Texas. And I'm not just talking about the early days of Gibson and Newton and Thrasher and those kind of things. I'm talking about people who were either part of the Houston crew or came into the part of the Houston crew, like the Louisiana guys, heavily, Florida and Arkansas and Oklahoma, a bunch of dudes we'll be talking about, um, but came came through and now they've made their way in skateboarding. Somehow, some way, they've made money, they've moved up, they've made uh, some kind of influence or they've got some big thing that has partially shaped skateboarding that for whatever reason doesn't get talked about. And does it deserve it? We think so. And we also want to give these people props and highlights and and that sort of thing. So, you know, we talked about Jeff Newton, um, Dennis Epinette with the Skate Park of Houston. It's going to be a whole episode. We just recently saw him at uh, Wild Bill's uh, ceremony. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, Jeff Taylor, Ripper from Houston, uh, went out to the West Coast, turned pro, 
uh, started working for some marketing companies and stuff, ended up working for DC Shoes, and he was a big, huge part of that whole DC Danny Way documentary, Ride the Lightning Over the Chinese Wall and all that. He was a big, he came out, he was working for Audio Shoes and doing some stuff, and then he moved on and got a job at Fox, like Fox Motocross, doing something, Fox big company moving up, and now he's either still affiliated with them or another a bike company that he is, I think, president of. I'm sorry, Jeff, I forget the name, but uh, shout out to him. And he's doing stuff. He's doing stuff because of skateboarding. Uh, uh, Kelly Bird. Kelly Bird. Kelly Bird. Oh, man, we're going to have to probably do a whole episode with him because that story goes way back. Uh, he was part of the crew, went to high school with him. We used to heckle him because we thought he was just a kid following us around. We called him the shadow for some reason because he was shadowing us and then he comes out and he starts he's one of the first dudes that really is ripping street comes through skate park of houston team went to school in san marcus with when i went to school and then turns out to be a pro moves on skates for real goes out to the outside i mean to the california coast goes up there working with a couple of different companies moving up and now he's working with nike skateboarding shoes and pretty much one of the head dudes doing that for the Nike team. Yep. It's funny that that was your perspective was you guys called him the shadow because <laughs> he he's either my Don't age. Don't be pissed. Kelly will explain later. He's either my age or maybe a year older, but he was definitely... I'm 56. You're... 52. We're uh, old. I want to say Kelly was my age. He might be just a little bit older, um, but he, he was a couple of years ahead of me and my peers on the track as far as talent wise and getting sponsored. So we all looked up to him. Oh, sure. He was, yeah. The first time I met him was at the skate park at Houston on the street course. And I was like, who is that guy? <laughs> yeah. I've got photos of him. Like I already the- knew, um, Corey key and I already knew, um, Corky, Reed shout Moffitt out. and those guys. Reed Wiggly Trucks Moffitt. And I had never, I'd never seen Kelly before till I saw him at the skate park. And I was like, who is this guy? And super impressed. So he's part of the old crew. Him, David Mills, and a few other people used to go and street skate back in the day, early, early on. Um, back at the, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the damn name of the surf shop that was the skate shop. Uh, by our high school, but that'll come to me later. Uh, but let me get through this list a little bit. Also, uh, shout out to RBU Molly, yep. uh, filming early days in Skate Park of Houston, goes out to to New York, and I think he was working with New York and that whole crew out there, and then I see that he's doing filming. He's doing stuff for the NBA. RB, RBU Molly. Uh, Michael Sieben, one of your good buddies. Uh, no, we've both known Mike for a long time, and Mike has been doing it. He does everything. He does art. I'm sorry. Did you say Mike? Mikey. Mikey. Sorry. It's either Mikey or Michael. I was trying to lead you into talking about him. Oh, but, I've you got, got, a little some, better than I've I got some stories about Mr. C. Well, just give the general way what his influence from Texas is. His influence from Texas. Um, well, he grew up in Seguin and um, he was part of a, a very small scene, but that was like not exactly San Antonio, but kind of San Antonio adjacent, but it was Seguin, Luling, San Marcos, New Braunfels, that what are, I guess that's a quadrant, but um, that little area. And there's a number of guys that grew up in that little scene that uh, all ended up coming to Austin, it seems like, and formed a major uh, part of my friend circle back in the 90s. Um, but Mikey has, he, he went to school, uh, 
to get an art degree, became an illustrator and graphic artist, um, and is one of the only people I've ever seen who successfully went to art school, wanted to become an artist, actually did it, actually made money off his actual art, not off of just doing some graphic logo for somebody, but his original art actually made money at it and parlayed that. I mean, he had to have a series of like regular day jobs of graphic art, but parlayed that into working with Thrasher Magazine and a bunch of skateboard companies. And these days he's one of the main editors at Thrasher Magazine. Just got his second shoe, I think. His first one was with Adidas and now he's got a shoe with Etnies. Yes. And he made a funny clip. You should go check it out on his Instagram with his kids at the ditch, which was, I think it was a lizard ditch was where that was at. Um, but yeah, big shout out to, to Mikey. He's one of those Texas dudes. Um, Jimmy Coleman up in Dallas. Uh, one of those guys that I love jealously because he's the guy now doing, heading up the X games and kind of doing announcing, announcing for, for all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, and something that, you know, I dreamed of doing, but never pursued in that regard, but I'm also, super I've, proud of him. And I feel like we can both admit to the fact that, um, he's, he's our age, he's in our cohort yes. and he has the best silver Fox hairdo, um, of almost anyone in our friend group. Lee Brooks oh, is so in that group. Lee Brooks number two. So who has the better hair, Lee Brooks or Jimmy Coleman? Jimmy's or got the silver, Lee's, not Ronnie, Lee's uh, got the white. Well, there's a couple of guys in Dallas, too, that stubs. Nah. Lee Brooks, it's going to... Tracy Willer gets a mention in here, but... Uh, but he's part of the UK invasion. We'll but, talk about that But old that later. Jimmy Coleman, man, I'm, I'm jealous. So look up he a picture have of, to wear a So look up a picture of Jimmy Coleman and look up a picture of Lee Brooks and somebody make a meme. Uh, by the way, by the time you hear this, we will have a Facebook page. We'll have an Insta or a Gram, as the kids call it. We'll see what other socials we can get on. We're going to try to post pictures and photos of some of the shit we talk about. We're going to post links and give shout outs to people and mention names and try to do the best we can. Carjack, this is not our real job. I work 14, 12, 14 hours a day. You work 10, 14 mm -hmm. hours a day. And so it... Is this is this is this leads into when are we going to do this? Well, we're gonna try to put out something monthly. We may be able to do more. We may might do less. Uh, it depends on when we can get interviews. We want to interview people face to face. We will have to do some phone or Zoomish things, but we're gonna try not and try to go and meet with people and go up to Dallas and go to Corpus and you know those kind of things. So, um, when are we gonna do this? As soon as we can. As soon as we can. And we're going to try to do it uh, as legit as we think. But this is a growth thing. We are kind of flinging ourselves into this. kind of like walking up the stairs on the kahuna and grabbing your board and walking to the edge because you know you walked to the edge before you dropped in and going, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put your board, you put your helmet on and pads because that's what was going on. And you put your thing to the, and some dudes stood tall. Some dudes grabbed their nose. Some dudes kind of put their hand on the coping and kind of fell in. But some of oh us, knee, shit. some of us knee slid down the channel a couple times to get a feel for it, just to get the feel. But so that's kind of what this is, what we're going on before I forget. I was 15 to be fair. Before I forget a couple more Texas, correlations because i have it written down uh michael burnett 
Michael Burnett from. Sorry, I think he says Burnett, but Burnett. It's, it's Burnett. And he's Burnett. from the Dallas Burnett. area, right? No, he's from College Station. College Station. So Texas influence. The Dang top two editor guys ish kind of are Texas influence. And Burnett is one of the best dudes ever. He's solid. I don't I know him that so well. I was so happy when he first got in with Thrasher because I knew it was going to be a good thing. I knew he was going to do good work with it, and I knew it was going to help out Texas coverage in general. And he has exceeded any of my wildest hopes that he could have ever done there. And it just made sense when they hired Mikey to work with him. I'm like, that's, it's the perfect duo, man. Those two guys, I, I feel good about the magazine's future. If those guys are helping steer it. Since Phelps has left. And speaking of which, who did they hire two years ago or so, but Rye Barras. So that gives the shout out to Team Barras, uh, you know, which starts with Reagan and their dad, Andy, and then goes to Rainey Barras and Rye Barras. And why are they important? Well, when I went to college. Because they rule. Because they rule. But why, uh, you know, first off, I met Reagan in college in 1985, and she hung out with the skater dudes, and she was rad and punk rock, and it wasn't a thing where she was like the only chick and everybody hit on her. It was none of that going on. She was just a rad person and she was into the skate scene and that was cool and then come to find and out she later was friends on with all the cool bands yes uh come to find out they bear rainy and then rye rainy bears as you know pro out in california he's got his own uh break free skate shop he's got his shoe on uh, uh converse and he's got his board with anti-hero he's killing it out there and then along comes uh, Rye, previously Sixto, story later, but Rye Barras, who has been doing Boneless One and filming and doing just, edits. Not Boneless One, just Boneless Skate. Scene, excuse me. Yeah. And Which he started forever. when he was like 10 years old. Yeah, and edits, and now he was doing video stuff, and then Thrasher says, come aboard. So Texas influence is big, yep. and that's some of the stuff we're going to dig deeper into. Uh, also in memoriam, mentioning Tony Fulis. From Austin. Yeah, speaking of a guy Shorties. from Texas that uh, that left Texas and made his way, Tony Buyalos. Buyalos. Buyalos is yeah. what I always say. Buyalos. Buyalos. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Tony started a little company called Shorties, figuring like, ah, what's a good way to break into the industry? I'll just do hardware because people weren't there. At the point where he started Shorties, you go to the shop, set up a board and most of the boards were still getting those big fat riser pads on them. And so they had two inch long hardware and people wanted shorter hardware that could fit no risers for street boards with smaller wheels. And he saw the, the opportunity there, started a hardware company and parlayed that into blue. Yeah. Parlayed that into a major skateboard industry player. Um, so yeah. props to Tony. That was amazing to see happen. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, mentions and comments and dudes, you know, Dave rule came to mind also okay. out in California from Texas. But anyway, so as we move on kind of, cause it's, as you know, if you know us a little bit, we kind of drag on, we got the gift of gab, which is kind of why we're doing this. I announce Carjack just knows everything and talks a lot about it. He doesn't know everything, no. but he knows a lot which is why he's here and why we're going to talk to dudes, like I said earlier, Brett Anderson and Kenny Payton and Lou from Longview and John now and Jimmy Gonzalez, who is probably, if you're listening, Jimmy, we may have already asked you to be our first interview. Yeah. 
So um, also happy 70th birthday, Jimmy. Yeah. 70 years old, just got huge props that was a on fun session. a video. Uh, he does a, a yearly thing at Brushy Creek, but he, with tons of people that showed up, but he also got some video footage of him in Corpus and some news footage. And he's been posting up, blowing up all over the place, sponsor little, he's getting little sponsor packages and all that good stuff. So, all right, we've gone through a lot of my list. I do want to mention this. Shout out to Brett Styles. We're going to talk more about Brett Styles. Brett Styles is an artist, graphic artist, and he is the one that helped us kind of get this logo going. Once again, care of Sorlak and Jeff Newton. Won't shut up and skate podcasts to two dudes who don't typically want to shut up, which is why it's funny. Um, but Brett Styles has worked his butt off. Uh, when you see the Facebook page and Instas, you'll see the photos and some of the stuff from my relatively big photo shoebox photo collection. Um, so big shout out to Brett Styles. We're going to get his information out there. If you need his services or want to know more about him, big props out to him. Uh, shout out to uh, Jesse over at Cat Palace. Uh, who did our first round of stickers. Jesse Garza, thank you very much. Garza. Did I say, what did I say Garza? You just, just said, said Jesse. Jesse. Yeah. Uh, Cat Palace, if you haven't been over there, he's got a rad little gnarly bull skate spot and he does stickers, t-shirts, and refurbishes boards. And, uh, you know, we're, we're his partner. He's giving us pro deal so far. He's we're an awesome dude happen. and massively talented. Yeah, and our, uh, I guess that would also bring us to our first, let's call it an ad, cockfight skateboards. Cockfight skateboard. Mike Neiman recently, I got a board and I got another board. That's all you need to know. But I have two and one of them is kind of a, uh, a first here for us and our first episode. And so we want to kind of make a, not saying he's a sponsor, but we're sponsoring him, sort of. We'll make that happen. We'll talk about that more. But he's definitely got a board. It is a... Uh, nine something wide, 35 inches long. It's got a nice shape to it. And we're going to be probably raffling uh, that board off and trying to give us some funds to help cover what we're doing here. So as a quick open of what's happening, we just kind of started this thing. I started a DBA. I've uh, gotten a present from my lovely girlfriend, Corey Sorensen, who bought me the podcast machine that I'm looking at here on the table, the four track that's recording up to four tracks at a time uh, that you're listening to. Thank you for that. And then I've gotten some, you know, put some money into some mics and we got some stickers and we got John involved. And we got some other things involved. Mike Money sent us a board to kind of help get us started. So look, we're not looking to monetize, but at the same time, we want to kind of grow this and we want to be able to have the ability to travel and go visit people and do some things. And if it's out of pocket, that's cool. Cause and what's to get important, on all the platforms. Yeah. And get on, and, and it costs money every month to, to, to get it posted. So you can get on Spotify or Apple and all that. That's good shit. That's all good. So we're, you know, we, if you want to support us and you want shout outs and you want to do some things that we're open to talking to that, but mainly the most important thing is support us because we want these stories and we want the details and we want the kids in your hood that nobody talks about mentioned. And so we'll be reaching out. We'll be asking for, you know, supporting us at least a minimum by getting us people, listeners and everybody, you know, chiming in and all that kind of stuff. And hopefully 
We'll make you laugh. Hopefully we won't piss you off. Maybe we'll piss you off. Uh, uh, I got some notes here. If you saw this desk of a cluster F of nuts, notes, no. Uh, how did we get here? And why are we doing this? And I kind of mentioned, you know, I'm super into nostalgia. I've got a mini museum at my house. I've collected all kinds of stuff, a lot of Texas decks and a lot of other stuff. I have a skateboard toy collection. I love documenting skateboarding. I've got photos I was taking for years that I know have reason. We've got the Facebook group. Let's give a huge shout out to Chris Battle and the past participle. If you don't know what I'm talking about, get on Instagram now. He's a friend of ours from Boston. Great skater, great guy. And his past participle page is just a compendium of photographs of unknown skaters, mostly from the 80s, but from back in the day, man. But it's all unknown skaters just showing, documenting what the scene actually looked like. And it's not good. I mean, some of them are great photos for sure, but they're not like oh, you got that air correctly. It's dudes flailing, flinging, hanging with their buds, school pictures, hanging with mom. Well, and seeing how janky the ramps were in the 80s and just seeing what the scene was like where you would have, you know, you'd be wearing a Santa Cruz shirt while riding a a Powell board with a tracker sticker on it with indie trucks on it. Just the diversity of the scene, the fact that nobody really knew what they were doing back then and there wasn't a, a prepackaged look. But we were all, when you look at these photos from everywhere, we're all the same yes. dudes. We all kind of look the same. We have the same influences. And, you know, there's obviously different parts of the country, but the point being is check that out. And thank you, Chris Battle. You're one of those inspirations. He's been taking one of those social media hiatuses to kind of re- refresh himself, which is a good thing. All humans should do that. But... Uh, Go check it out. So he's an inspiration. Again, we've talked about there's just not a lot of history. Our first episode, we're going to kind of do a deep dive into Thrasher and what we know and where we've been and and some of the stuff we know and start dropping names a lot more um, and mention listening to podcasts and, and, you know, Talking Schmidt and the Nine Club. And those are kind of a different format. We're we're really hoping to kind of dig deeper into this Texas history podcast puzzle again and we want you guys to listen and somewhere down the road we're going to be able to have this much deeper painted picture and the stories and the people our buddies our bros our influences won't be forgotten and that's fucking what matters we're i'm 56 you're 52 there's jimmy's in the 70 uh um yeah you know a couple of years ago, um, Steve Gaber, the Purple Shredder, passed away. He was skating at Pflugerville Park. He was 82, I think. Yeah, just finished skating. Rest in peace. He'll be one of the ones. We, but, I mean, these people are leaving us as we get older. And somebody has to take charge on documumenting this. Why us? Are we the dudes? Why not us? Why not Nobody us? Else I guess has done it yet. we talk, we love it, we talk about it, but hopefully we make it entertaining enough and we spur some shit from you guys to also dig up your shoe boxes, tell us stories. Oh, that makes me think of this time that I was sitting there and crumb stepped on my foot and whatever the case is. But uh, with inspirations, I'll leave it at uh, also huge Texas lover and supporter and rest in peace to Jeff Grosso. His love letters episode to Texas is probably one of the most watched. And it's, I dare say, everybody wished there was another part. Oh, another yeah. part to it, a much deeper dive. So part of your homework is, and we'll give links to this, is getting on YouTube and watching um, 
the, the history of Texas skateboarding. Uh, Shut up and skate something. I, I have to give you the exact link because it's kind of hard to find. It's very ambient. It's very um, artistic, let's call it. Um, and then uh, love letters to skateboarding in the Texas episode. And then I, we're also going to push some links to some of the interviews to Johnny Gibson was on Talking Schmidt and Craig Johnson and et cetera. So. Yeah, just come find us on uh, Facebook or Instagram and we will have relevant links posted up. Yeah. So, uh, all right. As we've been talking for quite a while, we'll try to start winding this down. Um, let's take a second because I mentioned it earlier. Let's do our first kind of short memoriam of which we will do a much longer episode down the road. But recently we pa- we lost Wild Bill, William Walker, uh, Pro Design Pads. Somebody I met almost 40 years ago, 37 years ago in 84, 85, when I found out about the skate park of Houston. Thank you, David Morris. And um, recently went to his memorial and it was very traditional. It was really beautiful. Uh, Carrie, did you know that Wild Bill had like seven brothers? No, I did not. Seven brothers. And everybody who knows Wild Bill who is such a lovable character. But if you didn't know Wild Bill and you walked up, you're kind of like, who is that creeper at the club? <laughs> but he wasn't a creeper. It no, wasn't he, was... he just had kind of an odd way about himself. And, and, and his look was definitely unique. Not giving, he's kind of original, don't give a fuck. Right. Um, but his brothers, one of them was the pastor, and he had a couple others, and they all looked pretty much like Wild Bill. <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, but his sister Mary, uh, bless her, she gave some funny stories and encouraged us to reach out and say hi to people more often and get off our phones and and do that kind of thing. But while Bill, uh, I got a couple of things to say, but Carjack? So I knew of Wild Bill as early as 86 when I started going to the skate park at Houston. And um, I thought he was just this legendary figure at that point. I didn't realize... Uh, you know, that he'd only been at it for a little while at that point, but uh, he was just the nicest dude. He was super friendly and approachable and um, was really good. I think the thing that made him such an amazing innovator with, with knee pad design was that he literally listened to feedback and input from everybody. And that's why it was called pro design because he, he asked the pros what they liked and didn't like about basically the rector pads that they were wearing and he kind of single-handedly forced rector to step up their game everyone and start making a decent knee pad because those old blue and red rectors from the early mid 80s i'm just mind blown at this point that anybody ever thought that was acceptable safety gear they were they were terrible well here's the deal and if you think about it and i've heard this story and kind of dig deeper hopefully into it but i mean one of the reasons for that and one of the episodes to back up just a bit, we'll talk about is the skate park of Houston and its importance, its huge importance on, on skateboarding's history and evolution and the turn, for lack of a better way, it forced or mm-hmm. et cetera. We'll get deeper into that, like I said. But when 
everybody came out and they were in their rectors and that was what was around for pads <laughs> after the volleyball pads with no plastic cap. Right. You're riding on metal ramps in the heat of the day and the rectors just slipped off, slipped off, slipped off. And everybody looked like they had scabby, gross knees from a motorcycle accident. Yep. And so the reason that while Bill was like, these need to fit better. And if we can put a strap above the knee that is shaped, it will form and it won't roll down. And also I'll make it bigger because these dudes are doing bigger airs because the transitions are bigger right. and all that. So, you know, like you said, it's crazy how, um, from the early photo that was posted not too long ago of Wild Bill still having brown hair and his crown right. bald top and uh, Hubert in a mask, Craig Johnson, Ken Fillion, uh, Neil Blender or Jeff, the I Texas think it's the Texas Massacre. Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And then there's that another picture of a guy sliding down. That's all based on why it started. He made stickers out of it. So big but, props and love. So any, in any case, that's when I first became aware of him and you know i ran into him a few times but the first time that i actually got to know him was in his sort of second career when roller derby blew up in the early 2000s because you know he went through some really lean times in the mid 90s when vert died and, and pads weren't cool all you had to do was have a shoestring belt white faded pants and a white t-shirt yeah thank um, you 90s so um no no comment on my own personal history there um yeah like the the resurgence of roller derby in the early 2000s really helped bill out and and have kind of a second career going um and kept his production up uh because the roller girls wanted every pad that could possibly be made they wouldn't just buy a set of knee pads from them. they'd buy pad knee pads elbow pads wrist guards though if he had it they they wanted it and that totally worked out well and all the new parts started coming in and kids started skating transition again started skating vert again and all of a sudden uh you know, you've got this whole new generation of kids that who started skating at age six, but their parents made them wear a helmet. And so they didn't have that, that weird stigma against wearing pads th that we had in the nineties. So he was able to actually have a resurgence and pro design has been doing much, much better in the last 10 years. You know, I have no idea what's going to happen with it at this point. Well, it's it's obviously all love goes out to him and yeah. his family. And if you've paid attention online, you've seen the wealth of people that have been posting. Uh, I hadn't seen a post from Tony Hawk, which was Wild Bill's favorite person to claim that he wore his elbow pads for every war. His elbow pads during the 900. Um, Salba and obviously Johnny and Craig and all those other guys that he sponsored and a plethora of others. But to kind of tie this into a knot, because we'll do a much deeper dive on Wild Bill, um, you kind of hit on the head is that he had this resurgent and he's the reason that pad companies were forced to change because it was worth the extra money for handmade pads than it was to get rectors or whatever that's that right they have to buy a new set every and year if you look at the new pads most of the designs are based on the shape of his. of his now you graduate and because i've been lucky to announce with the texas roller girls roller derby um by the way they're eight wheels formed our four wheels so there'll be a lot of talk about the comparison between those two because it's really important but when that came on and they connected with wild bill and some of the texas roller girls first were meeting him saying we need a better product that changed and he went and blew up and researched his his 
business and the crazy colors of pads and matching team colors. And he had this whole new group of people that love him because he talks for hour with you. He, 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 he measures you. He gives you exactly what you want. He's a goofy character. He was around at all the events. And probably the coolest thing about that is that roller derby has after parties. And while Bill was fucking always there with a drink in hand and he was the most fun dude at the party. Yeah, et cetera. So, um, big love and shout out for, I guess, our first memoriam mention to Wild Bill, who we We just lost. We miss you. And there'll be a lot more talked about. Oh, a lot more talked about. That wasn't actually me getting choked up, although I have a few times about Bill. But uh, big props and big love to him. He's a huge part. And again, because of a dude from Texas and because of the change of amplitude with vert and things that were happening because of Texas ramps. Don't say he amplitude. Forced, I'm sorry. He forced the industry to evolve. And that's one of the biggest things that he gave us. And that's pretty freaking cool. That is. That is. So. So. Uh, we are on somewhere close to an hour and a half. We didn't expect that, but maybe we did. Can maybe we can edit this bit. down. Maybe we can wind this down. There's a lot of stuff that we haven't talked about. Um, this is just supposed to be an intro. It's supposed to be an intro, but I think you guys got the gist of it as far as who we are and why we think we're the dudes. Again, we're just making this happen. We like talking about it. We love this. I get passionate about documenting Texas history and the fact that 20 years down the road, if we've not done something to get this down, those stories aren't going to be passed on. And with the digital age, we're able to do that and save some stuff. And we appreciate our partners, John Miller and everybody else that's involved in kind of getting this thing going. Um, Hopefully we won't get some haters out there, but maybe we stir the pot and we're going to be good because fuck you, it's about Texas. And, uh, you know, I've got some controversies about the, uh, the coastal city skaters in Texas versus like the industrial, like Dallas skaters and differences of styles and some other fun stuff that we will get into. Um, but I guess I'll kind of try to wrap it up and we'll leave it with where we hope to go. And that is, again, we're going to do this when we can. We're going to interview people. We're going to try to unsolve this deeper puzzle of Texas and what we know now. And our first episode is going to kind of be focused on what we know and all that. So I'm going to give you a couple of tidbits to think about and maybe investigate and maybe, you know, participate in your own way if you want. But Skateboarder Magazine formed in 1964, 1965. And then after Christmas of 1965, it basically kind of fell off. Yeah, the fad died. The fad died. And sidewalk surfing. Sidewalk surfing didn't reappear until 1975. I was born in 1967. Started in 75. My first subscription was 77, so I was about 10 years old. And that's when they started subscriptions was in 1977. Right. And I remember cutting out pictures. And I wish I didn't, but so cutting it, out pictures of Shugo Kubo and yeah. those dudes and putting them on the wall and Eddie Olguero with rock and rolls and frontside rocks. And there's that famous photo of him doing a frontside rock that's locked his flyway and then those magazines I had a collection of them and then my buddy in Houston Tim Jester who did some of the first embassy graphics originally and did some of the alumni graphics which was a company I had years ago I and me and some of the people uh, Tim Jester borrowed them to look through them never gave them back his mom threw them out damn it big love to to him Uh, so 1977 and then it kind of like 
in 70, the only thing in between that year, 77, 78, when, because uh, in 79, it kind of faded as far as skateboarder. Uh, between that 1976 to 79, listen, Lou and Kenny, was mostly slalom, National Skateboard Review. And that went from for three years. And then we get into 1980 through 1982, and that was Skateboarder had turned to Action Now. Action Now didn't think skateboarding was going to fill the coffers, so it was anything action-y, extreme related. And that went down the tubes pretty quickly. It went down the tubes pretty quickly. But it did have one positive benefit, which was it showed the need for a real skateboarding magazine, which led to, in January of 1981... Thrasher Magazine's very first episode... Issue. Issue. One dollar. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> on the newsstand, one dollar. Yeah, We're going to do a much deeper dive in this next. So that's part of what this next episode is going to be about. Uh, Transworld, for your information, started in 1983, went through 2019. It was 397 issues. Now let's talk about skate parks and my argument about Texas being three months behind, which is true. We don't, it's not really an argument, but my argument is, is that I think that we can prove through these stories and through this podcast that we were doing the same shit, inventing the same similar or other tricks and maneuvers at the same time as they were in California. And it's, again, it's not about just about California because they were skating in Florida and Maryland and Fort Worth is the home of Nash Skateboards and etc. was the biggest skateboard manufacturer in the entire world. It's true. So skate parks. Till the fire. The very first skate park in the USA, concrete, I almost said cement. Concrete, Surf City in Tucson, Tucson, Arizona, 1965. Oh, wow. And then there was a wooden park in Kelso, Washington in 1966, but I was kind of really, really looking for concrete, and I've had to put a feeler out to some people because I don't have a complete Texas history. So forewarned, hopefully next time we talk, I'll have a better complete history of parks all over Texas in the first series, which was before the death of skateboarding, let's call it. The very first was in Carlsbad, California, and say first, starting in the 70s, Carlsbad, California, 1976, March 3rd of 1976. Mm -hmm. Two months later, in Corpus Christi in May of 1976, Holly Hills opened. Two months. Yep. And so construction was behind two months. The planning and prep for that probably started at the same time. Who knows whether one was completed before the other because of right. one thing or the other, who started first, who was getting the first hits or not, but... They're basically simultaneous. The argument is, is that at a minimum, it's not California than everybody else. It's California and Texas and whoever else wants to do a podcast about their state claiming they can dig deep, which... There's a lot of those people out there. Uh, so after May of 76, Holly Hills and Corpus Christi, the first uh, Creek Park in Texas, uh, Maryland on the East Coast was June of 76. So only one month later, the Ocean Bowl. So Ocean Bowl in Maryland's got a huge uh, argument for also being right in there with what I'm talking about with Texas. Yep. Florida. And Kona in 1967, 77. Is, 77, excuse me, is the second oldest operating park. The second oldest. The first is Derby Skate Park in Santa Cruz. Didn't get the year. Sorry. Uh, Derby was 76. 76, 77. So, and then we're going to get to the Texas parks because there was, of course, Skateboard City. 
Pipeline, uh, all those ones in Dallas that Lou and them. And basically from 77 is when all the parks started exploding and they started popping up left. Correct. And before they died. So hopefully we'll have a bigger, more concise list of that as a part of that first episode digging in to deeper. So it's hard to kind of cut it off, Carjack, because we have so much to cover. Does anybody want to thank anything you left off? Oh, one of our new features, because we're new, Skater Dad Joke with Carjack. Oh, the joke. Okay. So we're going to try this out. Um, every episode, I will try to come up with a new punchline for how many skaters does it take to change a light bulb? Hmm. Carjack, I don't know. How many skaters does it take to change a light bulb? We'll start with two. One to change a light bulb, one to film it. I'm going to try to see if I can come up with a new uh, punchline for each episode and we'll sign off with that. Yeah, we've got some filler stuff uh, if we need to. I don't think we'll have a problem sharing uh, stories and stuff. And again, we're going to dig super deep, but we'll we'll be talking about some rippers and some unknown rippers and some dudes in your neighborhood. So if anything, listen, because you're going to get name dropped and we're going to talk about people and, you know, stir up a bunch of stuff nostalgically and story wise for Texas, all about Texas. And again, support us, follow us on our Facebook instas and everything else that we're going to start sharing. Haven't even done that yet because again, this is our first episode. And in the meantime, get out there, go build a ramp, go slap a curb, go make something happen for your scene. Yeah. Thank you, Texas. Thank you for listening. And we will be back at the second episode upcoming. Won't shut up and skate. Yeah.